And here's what I love about Easter. When we come together to celebrate Easter, it's not something we have to overcomplicate. I'm glad you all are alive and ready to, to roll with me. It's not something we have to overcomplicate at all. It is this simple. Jesus rose. Okay? Jesus rose. Jesus rose. Jesus rose. Come on, Aaron. Jesus rose. So I rise. So I rise. So I rise. That's it. And then our gathering today is to celebrate that truth. Jesus rose, I rise. We can't mess it up. It's crystal clear. It's why we're here. It's what we're doing. So let me read to you the passage of Scripture, and then we'll dive right into this. Okay, Matthew 28, 1 through 10. It's 11.27. They've dealt shrewdly with me on time. They tell me I have 30 minutes. 30 minutes puts it 11.57. You're still going to beat the Baptist to lunch. All right, I'll stay. Before noon, we're done. Matthew 28, 1 through 10. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid. You're going to hear that again. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, notice the angel said it on their first encounter, and Jesus says it on the first encounter, don't be afraid. Today is not a day of fear. Today is not a day of worry. Today is not a day of anxiety, of discomfort. He says, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Uh, I, I told the first service this, don't let the skinny britches fool you. I, I was raised as a little country rug rat. I mean, uh, we were on 30 acres and we started out in a trailer and then we moved to a rental home on the same property. And uh, man, my life was just spent in the woods. Um, and, and in fact, guys, do we have pictures? Let me show them my, this was... Yeah, this was little Luke, and that was my dad in the back, and we're on a dirt bike together. That was my dad's everyday outfit. He wore overalls with a white t-shirt every single day of his life. The only thing that changed is he grew a ponytail and had a beard to the middle of his chest. Oh, here we are. My dad only put life vests on the kids he cared about, so it was, 
me and my sister here in the middle, and that's a rare picture of my two older brothers on the side, and my dad looking back, the only time he wasn't in overalls is when he was in the boat, and we would run that rickety old boat all over Hillsdale Lake. All right, show me the, the next one, guys. Uh, and then there, there he is, again, same outfit, regular, different day, same outfit, uh, overalls and a white shirt, camo hat, dad and I had been fishing. Don't mind my sister on the hood in a car seat in the back there, like... She's still alive. She made it. But that's, that was a, if you could just paint a picture of what my childhood was like, that's it right there. And uh, there was one day, I remember I was, I was out messing around in a field, and I found a bunny. I actually caught the bunny with my bare hands, and I, I had this bunny, and I went and I showed my dad, and my dad was like, way to go, buddy. Uh, here we go. And he, he got this, like, we got this old cage that used to be for the dogs. We'll make the bed, you know, a little bed for the bunny. And so we make this, this little cage for the bunny, and we put lettuce and carrots and hay and everything bunnies don't eat inside that thing, right? We put the bunny in there, and every day I would go and I would check on the bunny, and I'd see if he ate the food or if he needed food. And it was like my, my first little pet. And then something miraculous happened. I am talking resurrection, life, Jesus out of the tomb, miraculous. I went one morning to the cage and I looked inside of it and the bunny had gone from a little bunny to a full-grown rabbit in one day. I am not lying. I, I was like, no way. I ran inside. I was like, Mom, Dad, you're never going to believe this. This bunny has gone from this little bitty bunny to this real, actual rabbit in one day. And they're like, oh, great, buddy. Oh, awesome. And I told my brothers and sisters, they were like, you're a liar. No way. Not believing it. Took them in. I showed them. They're like, what? What happened? Like, it's the full-size bunny. It wasn't until years later <laughs> my parents told me the full story. When is it appropriate to lie to your children? This is story number one. This is appropriate number one. Uh, what had happened was my dad, the night before, had been working out in his shop. And as he was coming in, he walked by and he, he gave the, the bunny cage a little, little tap and bunny didn't move. Then he looked in there and he gave it another little tap. Bunny didn't move. He picked up the bunny Bunny didn't kick. Bunny didn't do anything. The bunny had died. And so my dad, that night, drove to the local co-op, bought a bunny that had the same features as my bunny had. And he brought it back home, and they put it in the cage, and they let me for years believe that that bunny just all of a sudden overnight grew up to something living. When I finally found out, I was like, you guys are sick. What's wrong with you? And I remember my mom was telling me, we just knew how upset you would be if you found a dead bunny. So we put one alive in there. And, and in, a, in a way, that's exactly what we've come to celebrate today. We've come to celebrate our Father reaching down into a grave of our heart and removing that which is dead and replacing it with something living so that we can have Life. That's the whole message. That's exactly what we talked about, about God reaching down, taking the dead things from me, the sin away from me, the hurt, the shame from my past, my failures. He reaches down, he empties the grave and puts life back into the grave so that I can live and be a new person. 
How does this play out in the season of empty graves? He empties three different graves. I'll give them to you now. He empties the grave of death, the grave of sin, and the grave of identity. We'll dive into all of them. And as promised, I'll have you to lunch on time. Uh, Here's what we're going to do. Each grave, I'm going to give you uh, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament is the resurrection guru. And he's brilliant for taking the resurrection and applying it to our everyday living life, right? So Paul is the one who takes the resurrection and makes it applicable to me. So each grave that we empty, we're going to study what the Apostle Paul says about it and, and step out of them. So grave number one, the grave of death. Let's dive in. Romans 6 verse 9 says, we are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. He will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. So we start knowing Christ has conquered death, right? He rose from the grave. He conquered death. But 1 Corinthians 15, 20 begins to make it personal. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So Christ conquered the grave and he was the first fruits of all of us who will conquer the grave and death through him. 2 Corinthians 4.14 We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. In other words, Paul takes us full circle. He says Jesus has conquered death. Jesus conquering death was the first of many. Because Jesus has conquered death, we too will conquer death. In other words, we don't have to live afraid of death anymore. Uh, This past Christmas, we introduced my son to the greatest Halloween, the greatest Christmas movie of all time. Any guesses? (laughs) He's six years old. Die hard. Die hard to my six-year-old. First serve, Evelyn screams out, Elf! I was like, he's six! No, he's not die hard, not elf, not four Christmases. Close? Close? Keep going. Keep going. I haven't heard it yet. Okay, I don't have a gift for you. I don't have anything. (laughs) I don't have a prize. (laughs) Wait, you said Home Alone, right? Home Alone! That was it! Home Alone. Best Christmas movie of all time, right? Classic movie. You have Kevin, who is Kevin, who's also Kanan in modern day life today, right? I have a Kevin. His name's Kanan. Um, And then you have Buzz, who's like the ultimate turd older brother, right? And then you have Uncle Frank, who's just an instigator and a real challenge. But there's this character throughout the movie Home Alone, who lingers in the shadows until the very end. And in every scene up until the very end, he's synonymous with death. Do you know who it is? Old Man Marley. That's it. I would describe to you Old Man Marley, but nobody does it better than Buzz. So let's have Christmas in April and let Buzz describe to us Old Man Marley. Take it away, Buzz. Check it out, Old Man Marley. He. You ever heard of South Bend Shovel Slayer? No. That's him. Back in 58, murdered his whole family and half the people on his block with the snow shovel. Been hiding out in this neighborhood ever since. Well, if he's a shovel slayer, how come the cops don't arrest him? 
Not enough evidence to convict. They never found the bodies. Everyone around here knows he did it. Now it'll just be a matter of time before he does it again. What's he doing now? Walks up and down the streets every night, salting the sidewalks. Maybe he's just trying to be nice. No way. See that garbage can full of salt? That's where he keeps his victims. The salt turns the bodies into mummies. Wow. Yeah, look out! death even I mean every scene in the movie where he appeared even the scores the music everything it is dun 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 old man Marley the man of death is looming around every corner and then finally Kevin gets to this place in the movie where he's he's sick of being afraid so then he, he runs out into the street if you know the scene you know what happens he runs out there he steps up in the middle of the street and he says you know what I'm not afraid anymore come on say it with me I'm not afraid anymore. He says, I'm not afraid anymore. And as he turns, he's face to face with old man Marley. And he lets out this blood-curdling scream. Ah! And then he turns around and runs inside. But in that moment, something unique happens. He goes inside, and then he looks back out, and he sees old man Marley, and he sees him. You can tell it's the first time death hasn't been synonymized with the guy. He, you see this man who's just holding his shovel standing there. So let's fast forward to the end of the movie, and I promise you I'm heading somewhere with this. So <clears throat> we get to the end of the movie, and Harry and Marv are getting ready to do their robbery, and Kevin is heading home to protect his home. He stops by the local Catholic parish for one more confessional before the robbery, and he sits down, and guess who's there? Old man Marley. And he says to old man Marley, I'm sorry I screamed in your face. You're not as bad as my brothers have said and blah, blah, blah. And old man Marley embraces Kevin. And there is this moment where the whole thing with the relationship with old man Marley transitions. And he goes from being the man of death to at the very end, Harry and Marv catch Kevin in the neighbor's house. They hang him up on the pantry hook. And what happens? They're about to torture him. And boom, Marv plastered against the wall. Harry turns around, wham, he hits him again with a shovel, and old man Marley rescues Kevin. And the one thing throughout the entire movie that was synonymous with death winds up being the thing that saves Kevin's life. You know, if we live our lives afraid of death, all we do is go through life afraid to die or thinking that there is something in this life that can satisfy us beyond what awaits us in Christ. It is such a crippling journey to take. But once we realize, once we don't have to be afraid of death, we no longer live captive to it. We no longer live captive to the fear Captive to the anxiety, captive to the worry. I'll give you a personal example. There was a season in my life where I went through life terrified of death. I've got young children. Uh, one of my children really depends on me for a lot of things. And I remember I had, I, I had totaled my truck February of 2020. And after that, uh, I was scared to drive. 
Like, I was scared to drive. I was scared. I just, I would wake up, and I would be sweating, and I would be worried, and I would be afraid of death. And then I would be afraid, well, what if, if I died? Who'd take care of my family? Who'd take care of my children? Like, what would happen in my life? And there was about a month-long season where all I was was terrified of death until Jesus gripped my heart and said, why are you afraid of death when I've given you life? Why are you living afraid of death when Jesus is life? What did he declare to Mary? He said, I am the resurrection and the life, and though you die, you live again. Jesus emptied the grave of death and gave us life. The second grave, the grave of sin. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. Hear these two verses and recognize we got a major problem outside of Jesus. Here they are. Verse 1, and if Christ has not been raised, in other words, if what we're celebrating today had not happened, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. Without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we're sunk in our sin. We're in a lot of trouble. James 1, 15 says, then after after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. In other words, it is the sin in our life that keeps us from the presence of a holy God. My daughter loves to play in mud and make her own Play-Doh. She'll dig a little hole, fill it with the hose, and then she'll get mud everywhere. And it's cute, and it's funny, and it makes great Instagram pictures until she comes into the house and tries to climb in your bed covered in mud. It's like, no, you, no, you, you can't be in here, right? It's cute, and I'm, yeah, you do what you want. But when you come in here, you have to be clean first. That's exactly how our relationship is with Jesus, or our relationship is with God pre Jesus, but Jesus came as the sacrifice that allows us into the presence of God. Let me read it to you. It's Hebrews 9, 25 through 28. It says, and he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again. We'll get to the imagery of that. I love that verse. He didn't come to offer himself again and again and again and again. Jesus didn't say, okay, here it is. Okay, I'll, I'll sacrifice again. It says, like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have to do it again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once, after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly wait him. Now watch, Hebrews 10, 11 through 14 is kind of a summary of the results of what we just read, okay? What did we just read? Exactly what I told you. Before, we would have to go again and again and again and again and offer sacrifices for our sin. After Christ, he gave the offering once and for all so that we could enter into the presence of God. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Let's have some fun. This is a first century Jewish synagogue. I'm the priest. 
You are the people who have come to get right with God and to, to be in connection with God again and have your sins forgiven. So here's what you do. You go, you find an animal, you bring that animal to the temple, and you bring it to me, the priest, prepared for sacrifice. I, as the priest, take that animal, I go back to the Holy of Holies where you're not allowed because of the sin, and then I lay that animal down, give that offering for you, and then I come back out and I say, okay, we got yours, you're next, give me the offering. I take the offering, I go back, I lay it down, I come back, and I say, okay, you're next, give me the offering. I take your offering over and over and over and over again and again and again. You heard it in chapter 9, you just heard it in chapter 10. It's a day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. To be a priest in a first century Jewish synagogue like this was a lot of work. Imagine the work. Imagine at the end of the day, his white priestly garments are stained with blood. His fingernails are tore up. His hands are tore up. He smells like smoke because he's been lighting offerings all day long. And he's back and forth, back and forth. And what does the scripture say? He does it and it doesn't even take away the sins. He's back and forth and back and forth. You're a busy body trying to take away the sins and it doesn't even work. Now listen to verse 12. But when this priest, that's Jesus, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Imagine first century Jewish audience and seeing the first picture of when they bring up the priest, like, oh man, that guy's just running back and forth in the temple all day long. And now the second picture, it says, no, 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 no. Once that offering's done, he takes a seat. It's finished. Hardworking men, when do you sit down? When the job's done. You sit down at the end of the day. You sit down when the work's all done. You sit down when it's finished. You sit down when there's nothing left to do. What is he saying about this? He's saying, look, you've worked so hard trying to cover everything up, and you've ran back and forth and around and around, and it's not working. But there is a sacrifice that is taking care of all of it so that you can sit down in peace. I'll, I'll illustrate it for you like this. Um, I, a few months ago, I had a leak in my roof. And you, you saw where I came from, right? We, we try to fix it before we, you know, we hire somebody, and, and that, that used to be the case. After this debacle, uh, we just get a professional. But, hey, a preacher gets his shot, right? I'm like, I'm going to shoot my shot, and I'm going to fix this roof. So I got my ladder, and I got out there, I climbed up on my roof, and I had this shingle that I could see, and it was, it was a little up. And so I was like, okay, I had a hammer, and I was like, oh, I'll fix this, no problem. Bang, bang, I hammered that shingle down. I was like, yeah, I walked in. I told Anna, I said, baby, I got it. Leaks fixed. Next time it rains, it leaks worse. It's leaking more. I was like, okay, now I got a problem. So I got on Amazon and I ordered roofing silicone. And it came and I had two tubes. And I mean, I silicone everything. I just covered my roof up the chimney, down the chimney, everywhere. I had silicone everywhere. And I was like, ain't no way that puppy's leaking. I went out and told Anna, I said, it's fixed. You'll never worry about it again. Next time it started raining, I kid you not, it got worse. It was leaking even more. I was like, okay, one more shot. I went up on the roof. I had a tarp. I put a tarp down. I had gorilla tape. I taped down all the seams. I put sandbags on it, had it all ready. And I was like, okay, I've got it now. It's fixed. And guess what happened next time it rained? Drip, 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 drip,
something's wrong. So I finally called a roofer. He showed up, and uh, I, I went up on the roof with him because I was acting like I knew what I was doing. You know, I walked up there. I go up there with my gadgets leaking right over here, and he looks at, at a tarp and silicon and the smash shingle, and he said, who did all this? I said, man, my wife tried to fix all this. I don't know what she was doing. My wife thought she was crafty, DIY. She tried to do all this. He's, he's chuckling at it, right? And then all of a sudden, he takes his pry bar, and he starts ripping up shingles. Like, like, and I was like, oh. I told him, I said, <clears throat> I said, man, I said, you are making me nervous. I said, it was leaking before, it's going to be pouring now. And he smiled, he looked at me, and he said, listen. He said, everything you did was to cover up the leak. He said, if you want me to fix this, I've got to go under what you covered up to fix the real problem. That is exactly what Hebrews 10 is saying. Hebrews 10 is saying, we spend our lives, be it drugs, be it alcohol, be it pornography, be it women, be it money, be it success, or whatever it may be, trying to cover up what only Jesus can fix. Always running around, offering here, offering there, offering here, offering there, when there is one offering that did it once and for all and is seated at the right hand of God and is welcoming us into freedom saying, if you want freedom, if you want to step into presence, if you want new life, if you want hope, if you want to be free from addiction, if you no longer want to be defined by your past, if you no longer want to be limited to what you once were, it is the offering that gives you life. It is Jesus. It's the offering that is seated at the right hand of God. You don't have to do it back and forth. You can take a seat with him. You can live in freedom with him. So he empties the grave of death. He empties the grave of sin. Let's end with the grave of identity. Oh, i got to hurry. 1 Peter 1, 3-4. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. The Greek word for born again that we're talking about here is total transformation. It means you have been actually, like, had a, you were born again. It wasn't like this metaphorical, oh, when you find Jesus, you did. No, it is, it is when you are born again, you are new in your mother's womb, and you are new, birth, born, totally transformed. He says, now, when you've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. So, number one, resurrection life, what does it do? It's, it's a complete transformation of me. I become a new person because Jesus was raised from the dead. Colossians 3, 1 through 4, we add to it. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Again, the start of verse 3, it is a Greek word where we get the English translation synergy. So he's saying now that your life is synergized with Christ. You are in complete sync with who he is. You walk like him, you talk like him, you act like him, you do the things that he does, and here is what you long for. You long for the things of heaven, not the things of of earth. Verse 3, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, 
you will share in all his glory. So we have first part, I'm a totally new person. Second part, I long for different things. My desires, my longings, my passions have completely changed. Then number three, full circle, Romans 7, 4. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that, what, is, what are we professing today? In order that we might bear fruit for God. In other words, my actions change. What, is he, what does it mean to be a Christian and to celebrate Easter today and to come together and worship? It means I am a brand new person with a new longing and a new desire in my heart and I do different things. My actions, my life, it is changed. I want to now bear resurrection fruit in my life. People, um, <laughs> kind of funny, they always ask me, hey, why don't we have bumper stickers with our church logo on them? And I tell them, because if we did, I would be obligated to have one, and I don't want nobody knowing I'm affiliated with this church when I'm driving. Like, there are just moments for me where I shouldn't be known as a pastor, and driving happens to be one of them. I just, I, I get barely saved real quick, right? And there was, this, there was this time, and I kid you not, this is in all sincerity. I had no malicious intent. I had no ill will. I wasn't angry. I wasn't frustrated or anything like that. But I came up behind this guy. I, I, I came up at a stoplight, and the light was red, and I was sitting there, and I mean, I kid you not, I waited eight seconds at least. And I, eight seconds is a really long time at a stoplight at a green light. My rodeo people know that. Eight, eight seconds is not short. I mean, it is one, two, three, four. What is this guy doing? Seven, eight. And then finally, here's what I did. And look, I was a Christian about it. I didn't, I didn't lay on the horn. I didn't double, triple beep him or anything like that. I just, I just gave him a little beep. Just a little boop. You know, just to kind of, hey, wake him up, and maybe he'll pull forward. It wasn't, or bah, 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 and just, beep. This guy lost his mind. <laughs> Throwing his hands up in this little car, you know, those little ones that whine along the road. He's, just, he's throwing his hands up like this, rolls his window down, California howdy and everything. Like, he is so mad at me. So then he starts trolling me, and he's going really slow. I was like, okay, so you want to see what the Dodge can do, huh? So I just, you know, just a, a little quick jot around him, kept everybody safe, thought I'd just pass him real quick, blows up again, obviously he didn't like that, he's, you know, up behind my truck, and he's, he's tailing me, and I got a ball hitch on my truck, and I about gave him some chin music, I was like, I'll just see how close you want to get, right, but I came to this stoplight, and while I was there, he's, in, he's behind me. He still doesn't let it go. I mean, he is screaming, pull over, pull over, get out of the truck. And I'm like, man, I, I have to go to Kroger anyway. I may as well take a little turn. So I turn right at the light. And I mean, Holy Spirit through a six-year-old. My son says to me at the perfect timing, he says, Dad, what are we doing? <laughs> Dad, what are we doing? I was like, son, I'm about to sell this guy something on Marketplace real quick. You just <laughs> you hang on. I'm going to meet him in this parking lot. I'm going to do a little sale. And we're going to be good. No, I, and so I, I turned <clears throat> around the corner, and I did. I just, you know, I was like, man, this guy's really mad. 
Uh, he zips, flies around me, gets in front, he parks his car. He's halfway hanging out his car, and he's like, what's up, what's up? And I mean, I saw him, and look, I'm not trying to be a cool guy or anything, but I was a pretty good situation for this little guy, right? And he's screaming at me, and he's yelling, and I thought, you know what? And I just, I kept driving, and it was like one of those humble moments where I, I know it's good. I just, I kept driving along, and he screamed, that's what I thought, that's what I thought. Man, you can have it, you know, like, go ahead. And then, I, I kid you not, and we've all made this immature boy that can shave statement, right? And I said to my son in the back, I said, son, you've said this too. At least I'm going to group you into it so I'm not the only one bearing my humiliation to everybody. I said, son, there was a day I would have taught that guy a lesson. <laughs> son, there was a day. I would have taught him a lesson. And I thought, you know what? It can't end there. It can't end there with him. This is my six-year-old boy, and I don't want to be Mr. Artificial Macho. You know, as the day, as the day I would have taught him a lesson. And I said, but son, thank God I'm not that guy anymore. Thank God that something changed. Think, and yeah, when my flesh rises up, I'm still that immature, hot-headed, easily angered punk kid. But man, thank God that resurrection life has given me a desire to do different things, to live a different way. Listen, I don't know how you came in here. Maybe you came in here rebellious, angry, frustrated, easily angered, hot-tempered, living however you want to live, pushing everyone around you away from you, and not listening to anyone. You may have came in that way, but you don't have to leave that way. You don't have to. That's the whole story of what we're celebrating, that death has been conquered so that you conquer death, that sin has been paid for so you don't have to live in your sin, and that you have a new identity in Christ so that you become a totally brand new person who longs for new things and who does different things. It totally transforms who you are. You may have come in one way, but you can leave a new person today.